Good morning and welcome to the amazing original Loretta Brown Show. Sometimes we add little words in there. Radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. You can add whatever you want. Benny, we made it to August. I know. (gasps) Wow. I feel like I have to like exhale. So if you guys, right? Yeah, you, everybody listening, you made it through the eclipse season. Yay! Mercury's going direct today. Yay! Huge fan of that. Huge fan. Huge fan of that. And and I'll get to more astrology in a minute. But yeah, we've had six planets retrograde, and this is a time of huge, powerful change. I. I know we don't like change, but maybe we can use it for the good. What do you say? Yeah, there's certain things we like for change. Others, we want it to happen faster. (laughs) (laughs) Or not so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it when people, you know, like change their clothes, take a shower. Yeah, I like that. Well, take a shower is, (laughs) I think, number one. priority there i'd appreciate I, it if you did that yeah thank you i i will make sure especially because i i heard on the uh just before the show opened you know we're gonna have warm temperatures yeah. mm-hmm. it's beautiful mm-hmm. weather here mm-hmm. in seattle and i hope that you're having a beautiful time wherever you are on planet earth listening to this and even if you're listening to the archived shows which apparently there's a lot of them mm-hmm. And my daughter, I, I love you, Jenny, just saying, uh, she lives over there in Hawaii somewhere far off in paradise. And she sometimes tells me, she just puts them on and has mom's voice talking in the background over and over. See, that's good, though, about those archives is because, you know, yeah. she's also a few hours earlier than we are. So she's not probably up yet. But if you probably are not. in your neighborhood, wherever that may be, you may listen to these wonderful shows also. That's right. So. That's right. And of course, we're on YouTube live for those yeah. of you watching on the on that. Yeah, I'm waving. Benny has to tell me which camera I'm on. It's this one. This one. Yeah. Hi, everybody. And um, we just love having you be part of the show. We are a listener supported show and just gratitude from my heart. I had several people contact me this week, just touched my heart, who said we want to donate to the show. And we just how do we do a one time donation or an occasional donation? And you know, you can go through um, patreon.com slash the Loretta Brown Show, or you can email me directly. Just email reikioasis at gmail.com, and I'm I'm so grateful, and I really mean this. Um, one of my lessons lately has been about receiving, and I'm good at giving and not so good at receiving, so it's my new thing. I'm with you, too. Mm-hmm. 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 Is to be grateful, a receiver, realizing because this happens for me when I give to people, I'm blessed. I feel good about it. So, um, yeah. So let's all be a little bit more giving and a little bit more receiving, and especially grateful because I think gratitude's the key to just about everything. You know, just hey, it's all right. Lighten up. We're gonna make it sh- through just like we made it through July. That's right. We're gonna do it. So, um, I am the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the Greater Seattle area. And we've got some wonderful things coming up this coming Saturday. We have a Reiki 2 class for those of you that have taken Reiki 1. Reiki 2 is great fun. We learn distance healing and more things about uh, Reiki. And we learn three of the Reiki symbols. So Saturday, August 3rd, noon to 5 p.m., Reiki 2 class. You can sign up at schedule.reikioasis.com. Or if it's within 24 hours of the class, you'll have to just... Um, email me to uh, let me know you're coming to the class because the online scheduler only lets you schedule up to 24 hours in advance and 
I do have room in that class for people. So don't be shy if you want to um, go through Reiki 2 training. I also have, we had a wonderful, amazing crystal bowl concert at Bala Yoga. It was, I don't know, it's, it's divine, it's blessed. I am at Bala Yoga in Kirkland every month now. And so the next crystal bowl healing concert is Sunday, August 18 at 7.30 p.m. You get tickets through Bala Yoga in Kirkland, and if you buy them ahead of time, it's only $30, and I think it's $35 at the door. So um, try to contact them and get your tickets ahead of time and save that $5. Uh, you know, maybe you can buy yourself a crystal and bring it with you or something. That's right. Yeah, I like it. And the Temple of Divine Feminine, my monthly class for women, will be meeting Saturday, August 24th which is actually the fourth Saturday of August. And it's because I have other things planned on those other Saturdays, so I had to move things around. But Saturday, August 24th, we do, uh, it's a beautiful class. We have a lot of healing, and the women get together. We talk about women's stuff. We support each other. We do healing circles, meditations, and um I don't know. I guess the way to say this is we're connecting with the divine feminine. We want to be more embodiments of that and, and be able to bring that beautiful energy onto the planet right now because we really need it. Also, for those of you that were planning on going to Egypt with me, you already know this, but I have moved the e Egypt trip from October to February. So we're now going to be going February 19th to March 4th. So there's plenty of time for you to join me. Please email me, Loretta Brown. ReikiOasis at gmail.com, and I'll send you the itinerary and the cost, and we'll get you in on that trip. It's a, a small group of people. It's very, very select and very spiritual. You'll want to come. Let me just say that. It's going to change your life. And so, uh, like I said, we did make it through July. We made it through the eclipse season. We just had a new moon in Leo yesterday. It was called the Black Moon because it's the second new moon in a given month. The blue moon is a second full moon, and the black moon is a second new moon. And the message of this new moon is very, very clear. Accept the releases, see what you care about, and use the revelations you've received over the past three months to reorient yourself. If some things have fallen apart, it's really only for the best. We've built our connections, and this period stabilizes our expansion. We are moving from letting go to finding allies, finding our tribe with whom we can do good bridge-building work, which is going to help all of us cross over this space. I know quite know what to call it. It's a space where we're, we're just moving from the old way into the new. And, you know, anytime we move from an old way into a new, there can be a sense of loss. There can be fear that rises up as we watch structures fall down. And, and um, my guides and angels and my best advice to all of you is focus on what you're building. We are creators and co-creators. We're here on planet Earth at this time for a great reason. And if we can just be vessels of love, if we can be vehicles of transformation, if we can help hold that space in a positive way, then we have the opportunity to help lead us forward into a completely different type of being on planet Earth. 
We have a lot of energy up there. We have the, the Leo big heart energy, the energy of the sun, which is saying, are you sharing enough love out into the world? And I mean the love vibration. Are you vibrating at that level? Is it time to show up in your relationships? Is it time to get out there? So many people have been sort of isolating because we do have an element of powerful self-care right now, which we do need. All of you uh, people, especially in the healing works and the um, support works of any kind, um, the medical field, the, the nurses, the caregivers, it's been a lot lately. So do take care of yourself. Make sure you do the basic stuff. I'm always telling people, get sleep, drink water, eat nutritional food, um, go for a walk, laugh and smile, and um, be around people that lift your heart and you lift theirs. The intensity of these eclipses in July are not for one day. They're not for just one month, but the effect will be here for the next six months. You're going to have many influences happen during that time. Whatever it is that you're starting now, you're, you're going to watch it unfold, and maybe in a miraculous way. And these influencers are going to lead us into the powerful eclipses in December and January. And, of course, there's a great big, huge Saturn-Pluto conjunction coming up January 2020 that many astrologers are talking about. So kind of pay attention to that. And like I say, um, take a look for sudden surprises, shocks, extreme events, impulsivity, um, maybe even something associated with space travel. Um, the, there's a lot of forces out there that are sort of uh, shoving against us. So hold your own. We have Pluto and Capricorn, and this is going to affect our top-down governments until 2024. And as I say, we are co-creators. We are moving into a new paradigm. Can you, my listeners, can you actually set an intention for a new kind of heart-based leadership? Dare we do this? If all of us do it, it can help pull us into a reality where we have heart-based leadership with compassion for all beings to include our great planet Earth. I believe we are more powerful than we know, and it would be lovely if we could unite ourselves in some sort of a, an, a collective effort, which, by the way, you can do in your own heart right there, right now, wherever you're at. It's a great segue into my guest today. I'm very glad to have her on the show. My guest is Dina Miriam. She is the founder of the Global Peace Initiative of Women, and she's a devotee of Paramahansa Yogananda. She's a student of the great Vedic texts. She brings spiritual resources to address critical global challenges. And in her latest book, The Untold Story of Sita, an empowering tale for our time, Dina takes a new look at the classic Ramayana and tells the story from the feminine point of view. Dina, thanks for... For, for being on the show. Welcome. Well, thank you, Loretta. And that was a beautiful um, introduction where you, where you talked about the transition that we're in. Um, that's exactly what, what's been in my mind. <laughs> I, I know. It, isn't that amazing? I was actually putting that together, and then I'm looking at your book, and, um, you know, there's a divine hand in when people are on the show, and I think this is the perfect day for you to be here. Yeah. Well, the, the, the book takes a look at a, a pre-patriarchal time, um, even though the story that came down to us came to us through the 
the, pe- the patriarchal voice. I was trying to unravel it. And, and um, you know, the Ramayana is mostly the story of Ram with Sita being a secondary figure. And um, I, I look at her as being a central figure in the story and try to, t- try to unwrap some of the patriarchal overlay. And as we're moving into a new era, the, the, it's clear to so many people that the role of women is essential. And we're, we're now moving out of that patriarchal mindset. Um, slowly, maybe slowly, but we're moving out of it. <laughs> and so I think it's important to realize that we've not always lived in patriarchal times in, in that kind of society, and women were shapers of the world at one time and have to be again now. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by this book. Um, it's it's, an, it's a, just an amazing book. I have to ask you, were you, um, as, as you say, were you trying to sort of unravel the Ramayana when you uh, came across this? Because uh, for the listeners, this book is told from the viewpoint of a, a servant who, uh, and I think you've got two lifetimes in here because the book's in two parts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but through the eyes of someone who was actually alive in um, the household of, of Sita. So right. were, were you looking to try to unravel this when you had this experience of seeing through these eyes, or, or did it just come to you? How did that happen? Well, you know, um, it came to me, frankly, as a past life recall. You know, I've been able to recall many past lives that I've written about in my first book, Journey Through Time, but I only go back a few hundred years. And then I was on some pilgrimages in India. I went to Ayodhya with the, uh, the kingdom of, of Ram. And then I went to a very, very ancient Devi shrine up in uh, the foothills of the Himalayas. Mm. And in the process, I began to find myself back in that time period as a servant in the household. And I said to myself, okay, am I, am I you know, is this true? <laughs> and then I thought to myself, you know, I don't know whether this is my life that I'm recalling or whether I'm channeling a servant who lived in the household, but the, but the story just came through me. I'd sit in meditation, I'd be back in time, I'd see the scenes, I'd hear the conversations. I, I was drawn back in time, and, and I don't know whether it was actually a past life recall. I identified very much with that servant, or whether I was just tuning in with the soul that was the servant in that household. But the whole story is told through those eyes, and I was able to see a time when humanity was transitioning from a more of a forest society into an agricultural civilization. Mm. Um, and there was much greater balance and harmony, gender balance, balance within the natural world. Humanity had not yet separated itself from the rest of nature, so there was a very um, uh, kind of joyful integration with, with the whole, but it was the beginning of the separation and there are many things that are very interesting about that time in, in human development as we became more of a, 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 you know, cities were developed, trade was developed, migrations were taking place. Um, and, but it's also, it was a story of, um, of, of, of um, much greater uh, equality and love. You know, the servants in the household were treated and honored, were treated with, with great love and care. Um, and there wasn't this distinction. Uh, of social strata, um, and everyone had a role in society. Everyone was cared for. The king was the father, really the father figure, looking, making sure everybody's needs were met. Very different paradigm to what we have today, and that's what struck me 
when I looked back and saw the way society was organized at that time and what we have today, which is seems to me much more primitive, actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, it's, very, it's very important, I think, for us to recall those higher ideals now as we begin to move into our higher consciousness age. You... Wow, I I had like 25 questions run through my head. I'm absolutely fascinated uh, with this book and your story. Um, I have read your other book also with the, the, the past lives in it, and, and I agree with you. I don't know if, if you were these servants or you just connected with them, and as far as I'm concerned, it it's, didn't matter. it doesn't matter. because <laughs> right. that was my conclusion. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what you've done with this book is – you have made this story alive for me. And uh, I'm just going to say this. You know, it's my personal experience. If people listening can relate to it, then then good. But, you know, you, you read things like the Ramayana and the Bhagavad Gita, right? And, and it's like these are amazing stories, but I didn't feel so connected to them right. until I read your book. And it's like all of a sudden the, this whole history has come become real for me and I don't know how to explain that any other way well the same thing happened to me I mean I read the Ramayana when I was younger and you know I loved the story but it was not personal it was just you know a story that I took in and and I felt a connection to Ram but you know after I had done these pilgrimages especially to the Devi shrine which is a million year old shrine where apparently a lot of Devi energy has gathered uh, I suddenly see this showed up in my meditations. And I was back in that time period and realizing that she's an active force, that that divine feminine force, whatever form she takes, uh, you know, it could be seen to one time, it could be another at another era, but that is very present and active, needing to come forth now to help us through this transition. I mean, we are at a critical stage where we have to make this evolutionary leap um, and, and, you know, we need a large enough collective in order to make it and, and be able to create uh, an ecological civilization that's, you know, compassionate and caring and looking after people and, and all that. And so we need the divine force to do, the divine feminine force to do that. And so I think that's why this book came through me now. An ecological civilization. You know, just yesterday I was having this conversation with one of my clients about, um, you know, global warming or the conditions of the planet, like, you know, the plastic in the ocean and the dead zone in the Gulf and the melting ice caps, right? And and how we're not caring for our planet. You know, some people are, some people are not, but many people have lost that connection. can you talk a little bit about how did we how did we get away from that? What what happened? Well, as we as we uh, you know in the in the Eastern mind, uh, history moves in cycles toward uh, more spiritual errors down toward more material errors, and as we moved into more of a, a, a city organization with uh, all kinds of social structures and material development. Uh, trade and migration and building of wealth, we, wealth became our main objective, uh, comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we lost, we, we forgot 
the beauty and the nourishment of the natural world. I mean, what gives us real happiness? It's being in a beautiful place. It's being by a pure river and a beautiful forest. It's breathing clean air. And these are the things that nourish the soul. And we've forgotten that. And we think that accumulation and consumption is what gives us happiness. But we, even though we know it doesn't, you buy, you know, you have a desire for something, you finally go out and buy it. Well, a few, a few days later, you forget about it and you're on to your next desire. So it, it doesn't bring happiness. We know that. But um, we've so got caught up in this material world that we've forgotten the spiritual forces. We've forgotten that, that you know, the, the, the spiritual energies that nourish us through the natural world. And, and it's, you know, it's going to be, um, take some, it's going to take awakening for us to come back to that and begin to repair the damage that's been done through this loss of, through this forgetting, through this loss of knowledge. Through this forgetting, yeah, through this forgetting. Um, I was thinking about what you were talking about earlier about how, um, you know, the king, Ram was the father figure and took care of the whole household, making sure everybody was taken care of. Um, and it kind of struck me that in its own right that that is sort of perhaps the role of the masculine. Like, we're not really seeing that today. Oh, we're not? No, the yeah. masculine. I mean, one thing I realized in the writing of the book, the masculine has been so distorted, and we need we need the masculine energy, but we need the the higher aspects of the masculine energy, the, 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 the caretaker, there's a different kind of, of, of nurturing that takes place through the, through the masculine. And in, um, in Janak's kingdom, which was uh, Sita's father, which was a smaller kingdom than, than Ram's, um, and he was considered to be a Rishi king, you know, a man of great knowledge. And when there was a drought, he was the last, his family was the last to eat. He made sure everybody in the kingdom had food before he himself would take now compare that to to today. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but we have to have we have to have have this memory of what could be, <laughs> of what's possible, of what once was. Yeah, I you know that's interesting. I was thinking about different um, uh, 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 etiquettes, right? You know that people do, and I, I was trying to remember uh, when I was little, we used to go to somebody's house, and I remember that the father would serve us. And I thought that was real. It stayed in my mind. I was like, "Oh, he's serving us, right?" Mm-hmm. As as opposed to my mother serving us, right? Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting. It's just an interesting uh, sort of takeaway there. I'm I'm really paying attention though to what you're saying. Like, I, I really think that we've lost track of what the role of the feminine is and what the role of the masculine is, especially under the umbrella of the patriarchy, which. Um, has been very difficult. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of confusion mm-hmm. today. Yeah, a lot of confusion, a lot of rejection, a lot of um, yeah, not knowing what is the role of the feminine, what is the role of the masculine, and we have to be careful not to reject. Just you know, the feminine has been suppressed. We don't want to suppress the masculine energy. Right. We we want to help awaken the higher masculine energy, and I see that coming out with you know we do a lot of, of, of dialogues with young young people, young people who are doing ecological work. And this is an issue that comes up a lot. It's, it's you know, rather, you know, because we've, we've talked so much about the patriarchy that a lot of young men are confused, you know, well, what is their role in this, you know, in the new era? 
uh, you know, what, what, how, how should they be? What should be their contribution? And so I think um, it's very important to, to look at the need to balance. I mean, everything is about balance, gender balance, um, ecological balance. Uh, we, should, we should be thinking more in terms of balancing um, different forces and different energies. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking uh, about this uh, hashtag Me Too movement, right? And believe me, my um, my sympathies for people who have gone through these things. But I also know that we can go a bit far with all of that to where um, I always tell people, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and, and be careful about lumping everybody into one thing, right? Every, yes. Everybody is an individual, unique soul who is going through their own thing. And I've had men come to me who say, I'm so afraid to say anything or do anything. I don't know how to be, right? I don't know how to, how to be now as a man. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, too. As I yeah. watch the whole movement unfold, I say to myself, again, it's, it's balance. You can't stereotype, you can't stereotype people. Um, we have to recognize that there have been issues, and those issues are now coming up. All the shadows are coming out. Um, and we have to learn from them, but we have to be very careful. It's kind of like a slippery slope. Yes, very. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 very slippery. So um, I'm loving this book. Um, we're going to take a station break, but for my listeners, this is Loretta Brown. My guest today, Dina Miriam, her her newest book, The Untold Story of Sita, an empowering tale for our time. And when we come back, we're going to go a little bit deeper into the book and the messages of the book. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see. Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there, just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Do you make a positive difference in the world? Do you have a talent, philosophy, base of knowledge, product or service that you know could help a lot of people if only you could reach them? Join Alternative Talk 1150's family of broadcasters and start walking down a fruitful path. As host of your very own program, dial 425-653-1150 and find out just how affordable it can be to have a show on 1150 AM. That's 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. 
exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show with my amazing guest, Dina Miriam, with her book, The Untold Story of Sita. And, you know, I say who is on my uh, my guest so often because, you know, people tune in and tune out. I hope you're going to tune in for the whole show. It's worth it. But I really want you to know who you're listening to. And I encourage you to just <laughs> go buy the book right now. I really mean it. This book is amazing, and it will bring... I, I just don't know how to say this other than just to say it. You know how sometimes you read something or you're hanging out with someone and it's the energy of it? There's something divine happening. You're changing while you're reading it. Um, that's my experience with this book. So I think it activates within us possibly the memories that we're holding inside ourselves from our previous lives from a long time ago, especially as we're uh, making a great cycle uh, returning in some way. So, um, Dina, I'm wondering for for my listeners, uh, just so they understand a little better your book, this is really sort of a retelling of the story of the Ramayana, correct? Yes. Um, a retelling through Sita's point of view. Um, and there, there are two major incidents that I take issue with Okay. Uh, in the traditional story. Um, the first is, you know, Ram and Sita are kind of um, sent into uh, exile for 14 years to travel through the forest. Well, it's kind of known and accepted in the traditional narrative that there was a divine reason for that. Um, there were cannibal forces that were creating a lot of havoc, bothering the sages, and they had to kind of establish some kind of dharma, dharmic civilization in that area. So there was a reason. But then as the narrative goes on, that after they've almost completed that 14 years, ready to return, Sita is, ca- is kidnapped by the, the uh, source of this, um, uh, disruptive, this disruptive force, a, 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 a demon. Um, and I saw that Sita, being a, 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 a divine feminine energy, was not kidnapped against her will. But she enabled, she allowed herself voluntarily, went into the heart of the demon kingdom in order to transform it from within. And I saw that a lot of the work of the feminine takes place in the inner field. It's different from the work of the masculine, which is more the outer work. And that Sita all along was doing this inner work of transformation, helping civilization advance to the next stage. As they're going through the forest, she was teaching them agriculture, helping them move into a, a, another phase of human development. And then when she was uh, uh, taken into the demon kingdom, she worked with him on the psychological plane to help him to, 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 help, him to help unravel his energy so that Ram could come in with his army and, and do the final transformation. So, and, then at the, and then at the very end of the book, they go back to Ayodhya, and as it is told in the traditional telling, Sita has to, uh, Ram has to banish Sita because she had stayed in, in this demon kingdom for a year. And he's supposed to be the essence of dharma, righteous action. Now, many scholars say, well, that was added. That, that little bit about Sita being banished to the forest was added later. Clearly, but you can tell because it doesn't, it's not written in the same style as the rest of the story. So then my question was, why did they add this? Mm-hmm. Why did mm-hmm. they have Ram, who's the essence of righteous action, banished?
who made such sacrifices for the good of the world. And I, I and so I unravel that whole part and show that it was uh, Basita's choice to retreat into the forest to raise her children so that they would maintain the connection to the forest. Uh-huh. She didn't have much interest in palace life. Um, and so she ends her life in the forest, but it was through her choice. Everything that happens to her is through her choice. Um, and the thing that, the question that kept um, pursuing me really was why did the, uh, why did the, the elite of that society in subsequent ages, have to add that. Why did they think it was a righteous act that Ram would banish his beloved wife? And that, that question really stayed with me. And that's when I realized that this, this whole patriarchal view of things is so upside down. You know, and the way I show it uh, at the end, Ram uh, shows great love and devotion to Sita, and does a great thing to honor her before she departs departs this world. And there's a very loving relationship, and the love between them is such a powerful force. I mean, I, I, I lived with that for months and months, the power of their love and the love that they were trying to awaken on Earth. And so the, the, really one of the main messages uh, of the story is about love. Mm-hmm. You know, sacrifices that are made for the well-being of the, of the whole, um, sacrifices made out of out of the power of love that is so powerful and by the way thank you i have always been troubled by the ending where she's banished right Mm -hmm. and i've also always been troubled by her kidnapping um uh, i've got goosebumps while you were talking and i went oh of course that's exactly right so the sacrifices for love, and she did everything through choice. Understanding, if I understand you correctly, um, the greater uh, reason for all of it, if I could put right. it that way. Right. right. Now, Nothing happened without her will. Right. Nothing happened without her will, and also this great love. Because and one, great love. This, yeah. this um, you know, in your book you write, uh, and I'm quoting here from the beginning part of the book, as I wondered at the intensity and immensity of the love I felt, I heard the words, this is the love Sri Ram brought to earth. He awakened a new quality of love. And um, that love really comes through. I was thinking while I was reading it about how loving Sita is and and also Ram, but this love and um, this was before the caste system. There's no the servants are love loved. Yeah. yeah. Loved and, members of the household. I mean Sita does a lot for that servant. Um, she comes to her, you know, before she dies, even though she's, you know you know, miles and miles away in the forest. Out of love for that servant, she appears to her just before she dies. Um, and, and, and the message is, you can find me everywhere. Um, I mean, the, the, I experienced the presence of Sita throughout, and of course, as I said, she's just another manifestation of the divine feminine energy, um, you know, which, which has come to me over these last few years. And I know that's your work as well. And this is coming to us because there's a reason yeah. why this is all coming out now. Well, and uh, you're right. Um, she came as Sita, but she, <laughs> big S, she, uh, yeah, I don't know what to call her. The the 
the chi, I think, is probably the best thing to say. The chi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She is here, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And she wants to work with us and through us and help us remember who we really are and why we're here on planet Earth at this time. Um, You know, this story is told through the eyes of two lifetimes as, as servants. I think you begin... Uh, as a servant in the household of Sita, um, and then you die in there somewhere, and mm-hmm. then you come back again. Is it fifty years later? Or what? What's the time frame? It's about that? that. It's 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 about it's about um, fifty years later. Sita has um, they we so when the servant dies, uh, they're still in exile, and you know she's expecting doesn't hear anything about capture of Sita or anything. Doesn't doesn't live to see them return because she's already older, um, and then is reborn in the city of Ayodhya, their kingdom, and Sita has already they've already returned and they've died as she's died Sita's died, and Ram is in his elder years, and as a child she has the blessing of him because she's born into a, a, a well-established home um, where the father is in in the, in the administration and the government serving Ram. And then she she carries over with her some of her traits from her years as a servant. There's a whole story around that, and finds and finds um, is able to find one of the elderly servants who she was so close to. And of course, she has no memory of her previous life, but the the servant tells her what happened to Sita at the end. How Sita went into the demon kingdom and accomplished what she needed and came back, and then why she chose to live in the forest. So she gives her the ending of the story, mm. um, which happened after she had le- already left her body. And that, uh, to me, it's it's very fascinating and, and lovely the way that your book is written. Do and, you, and as always, yeah. my stories are really about the workings of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And so the servant who was born um, ends up marrying a, a, a young man who was also a servant in his previous birth in that household of Sita. And so it shows how karma works uh, to to bring uh, people together who have unfinished business and how they help them fulfill their their mission at that time. Um, And so there are a lot of weavings of different personalities, and and that's always been really one of my fascinations is how the weavings of karma um, work together so beautifully to help us fulfill our mission. So let me just ask this question. Maybe maybe you have an answer to it. Your, I'm I'm just going to say your lives as these servants, because, like I say, we don't know if it's you or you're just so connected to it. But to me, it's you. So in in your lives as these servants, what was your what was your lessons, and how is that affecting you today, or is it? It's reaching across time. Oh, it's affected me. It's affected me a great deal. Actually, I would say this book was transformative for me um, in so many ways. It 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 helped me see what we have to aspire for in our society. Mm. It helped me see um, what a higher civilization based on spiritual principles would look like. And as I said, all the young people I work with, you have to have a vision before we can actualize it. Mm. So we don't know what we're working toward. What are we working toward? You know, we have to we have to have a vision of what uh, what a society would look like 
uh, based on principles of, of dharma, of right, righteous action, of, 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 of love, care for, you know, not just care for the natural world, but deep, deep love and appreciation for all that is, all the life forms. What would that society look like? So I was able to put myself back and live in that society for a time when I was writing this book. Mm. And then I was also able to feel this transformative power of love. And, and that's what's missing from our, that's the major thing that's missing from our society today in every way. I mean, every structure is, is lacking that sense of care and love. And so they, they, they're going to fall apart because if they're not based on universal principles. Um, and, and then I was able to see um, and to feel what an honor it was to be in that position of serving her, mm. of, of being able to provide the... I mean, there was no... You know, of course, I went through struggles in my early life as a servant to come to that place of realization. Um, but that was the growth of my soul or her soul at that time, was to come to the realization of what, what, what of dignity, the dignity of of everybody's work, no matter what it was. And there was a time in the early part where I'm just washing the floors, and I had to find dignity in that. Mm. And that took time to find um, a great dignity and satisfaction. So it it's, it's, doesn't matter the work that you're doing. It could be anything. Um, but if it's connected to, if it's connected to, if it's done in service uh, and in a loving way, um, then one can find great satisfaction in that. So there were many, many lessons that came to me in the process of, of, of uh, going through these two lives <laughs> that I experienced. <laughs> I'm, I'm being with that, you know, finding, as you say, the dignity in whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it is that we're doing. You know, all things are for divine. Somebody said something like that, you know, and then, of course, we all have to chop wood and carry water at some level. But uh, yeah, I, I think our it. attitude about that is is really important. And um, I, I'm being with this idea of service, you know, like we are here to serve. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, what does that mean in, in your context? You know, like we're here to serve. And how do we do that in today's world with dignity? In other words, you know, I'm always thinking about how, how do we stay present and aware and in a good place and not get caught up in all the pain and suffering and injustice that's going on around us, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we were talking a lot about, you know, equality in the world today, and, and I would like to bring in this word, uh, word of dignity, um, of, of seeing the dignity in everybody, and and uh, I mean this this it's it's all in a, in a, in a mind shift and uh, of an attitude. You know, it's like it's like um, we've got you know all these migrants coming into the country, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. trying to come into the country. Um, well, what's not being talked about is is the climate. A lot of uh, one of the forces at work there is climate change. The seas are rising, and the fishermen can't fish. Um, communities are, are on the verge of disappearing. There are droughts in the mountains. Coffee can't be grown. I mean, so many factors taking place there that the first, to me, the first step is just recognizing. And, and we have to take responsibility for the part that we've played in this changing uh, uh, environmental um, uh, situation, the climate change. So, so, you know, trying to look at the situation with different eyes and saying, well, do we have responsibility there? 
And, mm-hmm. of course, then there's the violence, the drug violence. But where are the drugs going? The drugs are all coming into our country. So there's a really clear karmic tie here between us and what's happening down south. Uh, top of all that, there's our meddling in their political systems 20 years ago uh, when we supported military government. So we can't just say, too bad, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> you know, uh, we have to come up with creative solutions. And it's a difficult situation, but but we have to... Uh, uh, and so, you know, even the debates now are not really getting at it, you know, are not really getting at it. They're not saying, look, you know, this climate change. It's, we already have climate refugees. This is not future. This is now. What are we going to do about it? I mean, there are going to be more climate refugees. Many of the Caribbean islands are going to be underwater. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about it? We have to look at these issues now. And so when I say, you know, being a servant, it's kind of serving the needs of the moment and, and taking and, and um, acknowledging that, that um, and, and we have to deal with our own fears about this. Yes, you know, things are changing. We're in the middle of a lot of changes when we see things, um, structures that aren't working, and we know that they're not just going to be patched up. You know, I think the past you know, period of time, we just thought of patching up things, it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not working. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but if we don't take responsibility, other forces will come in and it won't be, they won't go in, in the best direction. So those of us who who uh, have some sight and, and feel ourselves as servants of the time, because why else are we here except to serve? Um, and and can bring more love into the into the into the into the energy field. We have we have a responsibility to do that. Uh, I think what you're saying is is so powerful and and needed, Dina. I really do. Um, is this some of the work that you do with the Global Peace Initiative yes, of Women? This okay. is the work we do. Yeah, and so does the do you have a a goal or it's just an ongoing work i um i just want people to know what you do <laughs> well i think it's i, I think <laughs> i want them to jump in <laughs> i think the more we talk about this the more it seeps into people's consciousness so a lot of our work currently is with young people people in their 20s and 30s and early 40s mm. um mm. who are who are really thinking about their future and and are you know they're the ones that really feel the burden of of um uncertainty of, of what's going to be, and they have the potential because we take those who are already working in some service area, mostly environmental work, um, and who have some vision, vision capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we work with them a lot on the visioning process. Uh, and I think collectively, I mean, now I'm, I'm, I mean, we do this globally, but we're also a special focus on the U.S. because the U.S. is such an important place right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we have to awaken that vision and capacity, uh, and, and especially in the young people, because they, they, they will be at the helm, you know, to make important decisions in another 10 years. Yes. Yes, that, that is for sure. And, you know, um, the U.S., I, I, I actually uh, started thinking about this years ago when I heard the Dalai Lama speak here in Seattle years ago, and um, somebody asked him about... Um, you know, his country and, and uh, you know, what was going on over there. And, and he said, well, it's, it's karma, right? Yeah, Like, like it it's country karma and uh, collective karma. And I think that the United States has got its own 
karma. <laughs> I, yes. I, I lived outside the United States for about nine years and, and uh, uh, kind of began to look at, at global affairs in a different way, right? So some of what we're going through, what we're moving through, I think is the collective karma and possibly yeah. the growth process. I think both absolutely true. I mean, I say yeah. to people, how many Americans know that the U.S. And, and U.K. took out a democratically elected government mm-hmm. in Iran mm-hmm. be, and put it in the shop because we wanted access to the oil fields? Yep. We did that. Yep. And so, I mean, that's a karmic act that we undertook, and, and that, you know, that's something that we have never properly acknowledged to our own people. And the same thing in, in Central America. We were very active uh, during the Reagan years. In, in supporting military governments that were creating genocide on the on the indigenous people in those countries, yeah, and um, so we, you know, we've we've acted in ways that were were far less than noble, yeah, and I think so. We've we've had a coup ourselves in a way, you know. We've we've been, you know, shocked that suddenly things have changed. You know, <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I have kind of a little. A, a personal mantra that's coming to mind right now, and I always tell myself, you know, it's never too late to change that. It's it's never too late to do what you can do, uh, even if it's just changing your thought process or your belief process or, or, or helping, you know, you help somebody, you know, at the local grocery store open the door for them or something. That actually contributes toward what you were talking about earlier, that transformative power of love. And that compassion that we can have for each other. You can also quicken karma. Yeah. You know, it can ripen very quickly and you burn it out. But that happens when there's a learning that takes place. Mm. I like that. Yeah. So this, the writing of this book, your book, um, my guest today is Dina Miriam. This is Loretta Brown. The book, The Untold Story of Sita. And it's an empowering tale for our time. And so what I'm really getting from what you're saying is that Sita can help us now. Exactly. Yeah. That divine feminine force is very present and active today. The same one that helped in the transition back then, thousands of years ago, is active. And we, if we can access her in our own lives, uh, then that force can, do, can, can, can be a tremendous aid to us now. Do you have any kind of... Um, advice to give listeners as to how they can um, uh, connect with Sitor, uh, these energies, and, and I know your book is here, but things that they can do to help uh, bring that into now time. I think any, any way that helps people, men and women, um, reflect on that, that inner force um, that, that really helps with the transformation, both personal and collective, because every personal transformation contributes to the collective. So there, there are many ways for this to happen. I mean, it's different for each one. For me, it's, it's meditation, it's in, in engaging in spiritual practices, but it's also sitting in nature. I think it's of utmost importance mm-hmm. now to sit by a river, to sit by the ocean, which, you know, you have beautiful ocean coast there, to sit in a forest. I think Connecting, um, sending out love energy in a natural setting, and we receive so much back. I mean, I'm very conscious now of trying to walk barefoot on the earth. Mm. The earth is said to have healing, send healing energies that help 
we calibrate the, the, uh, the bodily systems. And so, you know, I might do it for two minutes. Um, but I think being more conscious of our interaction with the natural world is very important. To notice things, to notice the birds, to notice the insects, to take stock of them. Um, because the insects are, you know, are, are dying, and that affects the whole chain of life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think it's to more consciously interact with the energies of nature is of utmost importance now. I, I so agree, and I am thinking that the, what you just said is what I have been repeatedly reminded of uh, through my guidance and angels, and I tell people all the time, get outside. Uh, put your technology down. Uh, take a look around and remember that you're a part of that. Years and years ago, I did a vision quest where um, I went out into the woods and I had things that I had to do. Like one of them was have a conversation with the rock people, right? Mm-hmm. Have a conversation with the tree people right? mm-hmm. and see what they have to tell you. And it was startling because I thought, well, I don't know if this is really going to happen. This is, like I said, a long time ago. And what they had to say was very powerful. It was very pertinent. And, of course, they've been around a long time, right? Especially the rock people. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom there. A yeah. lot of wisdom. <laughs> and, of course, we know that the bees are some of the most important beings right now. Yeah. We need to pay attention yeah. to the bees. We want the bees to stick around. <laughs> yeah. So how can people find you, Dino? And, and one last little message. you got, like, one minute. Okay. The book is on Amazon, Until the Story of Sita. And you can find me through the website, which is um, www.gpiw, for Global Peace Initiative of Women, dot org, G-P-I-W. I'm on Facebook, GPIW is on Facebook, we're on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and, you know, on the, on the web, uh, website we talk about upcoming projects, uh, uh, and we'll be, planning, we'll be planning things which are not yet, uh, in, uh, still in formation for 2020. It's going to be an important year, 2020, and I think we really need to pull together all the forces, the consciousness forces, yeah. the forces of love um, to, to guide this country. Um, and so, um, yeah, my message is, is, um, is really awakening this power of love and the conscious need to begin to envision a new kind of social organization um, based on, on, on principles of goodness and, 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 and dharma. Wow. You couldn't be on the show at a more appropriate day, Dina. And it's been a delight to have you uh, for my listeners. My guest, Dina Miriam, her book, The Untold Story of Sita. You might as well just get it right now and then get involved with her, the Global Peace Initiative for Women. Uh, This is Loretta Brown. Please go out there and send out more love vibration from your heart. We could sure use it. Be blessed, and we'll talk to you next time.